going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Happy to be back on the airwaves after a few days off in beautiful Montreal. And let me tell you, nothing beats coming back home than introducing the Grey Cup champions to downtown Calgary. We'll have more on that on the podcast today. We'll also chat with the Chamber of Commerce as they react to the Prime Minister and the Finance Minister visiting town in recent days and fireworks around the council table in day two of budget deliberations. All righty then. I know we wanted to talk all happy, go lucky, stamp stuff. We'll get to that in a little while. But it has been an interesting few days, I'll call it that, because I don't know how to really classify what's happened in our city since the economic update came from Bill Morneau last week. And when I chatted with Sandy Palali from the Chamber of Commerce, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, and there was a, an element of frustration that all the governments seem to be moving their, moving the goalposts, in a sense, on what business should be expecting. And it's hard to, hard to set up shop in a town where you're constantly having to aim at different goalposts that are moving all over the place. And so, wanted to bring Sandy back onto the program. Uh, Sandy, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Oh, thank you for having me. You've met with the prime minister. You've uh, you guys hosted the the uh, finance minister here as well today. When you and I chatted last, things there was a, I'll call it an element of frustration um, in the in Calgary's business community. Was there anything that you've heard over the last few days that would give you some sense of optimism? I guess coming out of what has been a kind of a tumultuous last few years. Yeah, the optimism is that we have very smart business people in Calgary offering very smart solutions to all levels of government to solve the economic uh, crisis that we are in. What, that That's very clear. There are definitely thoughtful solutions and solutions, you know, that consider social um, leadership along with economic leadership that have been put forward by our various industry leaders. And so that's encouraging. That's uh, that we know how to do this. We know how to solve problems. Mm-hmm. So now we just have to get the roadblocks out of the way from the federal government and see if we can't actually be listened to and move from listening to action. One of the challenges that came out of that economic update was the fact that uh, the differential in the price of oil was something that was not mentioned by Bill Moore. No, today, did you hear anything on that front? And even beyond that, have you gotten the sense at all that this federal government has Calgary's business community in its in its mind right now? Yeah, I mean, we heard today that we are definitely you know on their mind that they understand it's a crisis and and all that. I mean, we need solutions. We don't need sympathy. And that's really where we're still at, is that we need to move to solution. What is, I know you and I have talked about this before, but what is the solution in your mind? Is there something that can be done in the short to medium term that can maybe give us some sense of optimism for the long term? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we heard today that, you know, we don't want to move people from trans, working on Trans Mountain to look at short term and that the federal government wants to look at long term. 
I believe that we've got lots of smart people in this country who could probably work working on long term and short term. So we need if there's a team that needs to be put together to for short term, we've got those people. We've actually offered those solutions. And what I've heard from industry is that it's multifaceted solutions that are being put forward. It's not just you know it's not just rail. It's not just uh, regulatory review or Bill C sixty nine. They're they're putting them together to say, here's a comprehensive solution to move the industry forward, move the Alberta economy forward. Is there a frustration in Calgary's business community's mind hearing, and and I'm not trying to make light of, of the situation in, in Ontario with GM, but there seemed to be a lot more of a... A quick response, I guess, from the Prime Minister's office and others when it came to that. And yet here we've been we've been knocking on the door for months now talking about the, the differential and talking about the crisis that we're in. And yet there hasn't been that sense of urgency. Yeah, we definitely need to get the message uh, across nationally. And so, I mean, the federal government um, today and even on last Thursday with the Prime Minister, you know, we're very much, you know, in in view and things like that. So we need them to speak with that sense of urgency when they get back to Ottawa, when they go across country so that this message carries on. It shouldn't just be on us here in Calgary to say, hey, this is what's going on. Yes, we understand Ontario, but over 100,000 people have been impacted in Calgary alone as a result of this uh, economic uh, crunch that we're in. And so that is lost. Three million dollars an hour is lost those kinds of numbers you know they don't the magnitude does not resonate across the country it's amazing to me is that there hasn't been and and you and i've spoken about this as well in the past is that there hasn't been that sense of urgency when you talk to different chambers of commerce across the country is there that same sense of confusion across the table, or is it simply a Western Canadian feel? No, across the chambers. Um, so Calgary is part of the uh, large cities, and so we're, I'm actually in Ottawa today, and, and we met yesterday, and very much uh, the, the major city chambers are aligned on the fact that this is a systemic issue in the Alberta economy that needs to be resolved that is impacting the national economy and out east to west everybody should be concerned it's 13 billion dollars out of the national economy that is not happening as a result of what Alberta's performance is and so yes the chambers across the the major cities were definitely aligned on this what are we doing well what we're doing well is that we're very patient. We're pushing forward with solutions. I don't see our industry saying, well, well, we'll never, it's not going to happen. We're not giving up. We're fighting and we're finding solutions. Um, and that, that, that is very good. That is really good that our leaders are not giving up on the fact that we can push through this. And I can see there is, as much as the Prime Minister said the industry is not united, the industry is very united on moving this forward and getting back to a marketplace that functions in a place where Canada is competitive. What do you see maybe as the next step in the process now that you've had both the Prime Minister and the the Federal uh, Minister here to talk finances in particular? 
I don't want to say that it was just you know paying lip service, but at the same time, there there's still it's not like you're going to be getting a check written up anytime soon. Yeah, absolutely not. Now is the time for us to continue to push and really hold to account the the fact that they're in listening mode and here are solutions. And then I think we need to start to make public those solutions so that we can get traction uh, to move forward here because we keep hearing that they're hearing listening from industry, but I'm just like, well, you've got to believe that a palatable solution has been put forward. So why are we not moving to action? I suppose a lot of this sort of sets a, a stage for an, a federal election campaign is you'll, you'll be able to use these meetings as, as a way of saying, uh, here's the proof in the pudding. You didn't, you either delivered on promises that you, you laid out or you didn't. Joe, we can't wait that long. We need to make sure we have action prior to next October for sure. So we will, we will continue to push until we can get some resolution. And, you know, the goalposts like this 22 weeks with Bill C-69, so you want meaningful consultation, but yet we don't want to be able to put some time on it so that we can have accountability and have investor confidence. To leave it open-ended is eroding competitiveness and investor confidence. So both the Prime Minister and the Minister of Finance just did, did not close that. We need to be able to have predictability and closure on these processes in order for uh, investment to come in and people to continue to kind of hold on to say, okay, well, you know what? we will have pipe in the ground in the spring or I'll have a job in the spring. I can hang on till then. That kind of optimism, they it's very well within their hands to provide. Calgary Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Sandy Blawley, thank you so much for the time this afternoon. No, thank you very much. So there you have it. That's uh, the word from the chamber following not only Justin Trudeau's visit last week, but Bill Morneau's visit today. There were protesters outside once again, promising that they're going to be here every time that a minister is here. Yeah, it's dicey, to say the very least. We'll continue this conversation in just a couple of minutes. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. So there you heard it from Calgary Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Sandy Plawley after hearing from the Prime Minister on Thursday. Funny how that timing couldn't have happened any better. Right after that economic update on Wednesday, his first stop, Calgary. Where was his first stop pre or when the election campaign started in 2015? Calgary. I get the feeling, though, the the... Desire to vote liberal in the next election will be, barring some kind of crazy thing over the next 11 months, isn't going to be very high. Based off of what I'm hearing across the board, and it's beyond the idea of social libertarianism and the, I know the social issues are going to be big, no different than it's going to be provincially. But on this file, I can't imagine a government booting the football as much as this liberal government has. It's been shanked so much, and all it needs to do is say, hey, here's our clear vision for the future. And this is a problem that all governments have, is they can't see past the end of their election noses. 
All they see is, how do I get reelected in the next four years? And now we're into the last, we're into the home stretch. We're in the last year. And I'm starting to wonder if the Trudeau government isn't looking at Alberta and going, it's a lost cause. Let's focus our efforts on winning Ontario, Quebec, and BC. Because if we get those three, we got government. So they appease, you know, they, they come out and I mentioned in the question to Sandeep right off the bat was, okay, we've heard that sense of urgency the minute that GM made its big announcement this week. And yet here we've been fighting over this differential thing and how do we get this thing expedited? And I'm all for due process. Don't get me wrong here. But this thing should have been, this, and I'm the first to say, this: the, the Trans Mountain Line should have been done eons ago. But the Trudeau government had a chip shot of a field goal on this one, and they booted it wide right by yards. How, you ask? This is very simple. They could have and should have said, here's what the, Harper government did wrong. We're going to do it right. We're going to get it done quick. Which, of course, is going to fuel the speculation because they booted the ball that wide is the fix was in from the onset. The, the Trudeau government hasn't been in support of oil sands, period, end of discussion. I know that's what a lot of people are thinking. So what are we going to do about it here in Alberta? How do we get this attention how do we get the attention back in our good graces? And I argued it on Twitter and I, a few people didn't like it, but I'm going to say it anyways, is I'm all for smart discussion. What I'm not for is stupid t-shirts because you know what happens? It derails the conversation. It derails the conversation from the smart conversations that you have with people like Sandy Blolly. Argue based on merit argue based on fact and you'll win. You don't have to go to stupid um, publicity stunts to get your point across because you're going to end up losing. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. I had a little bit of a laugh today downtown hosting the Great Cup celebration at Municipal Plaza. Linda, Linda Olson and I were, were kind of... Uh, chatting back and forth while we're waiting for the guys to come out with the Grey Cup. And one of the things that I said, or one of the things that Linda actually pointed out, she said she, she there was a little bit of a, a tear in her eye when the Stamps finally won and the, the clock had hit zero. And I looked out into the crowd and I said, all right, everybody be completely honest. How many of you were openly weeping Watching Alex Singleton and his sister on TV getting interviewed. And that was one of the coolest stories that has been talked about over the last few, I I would say the last couple of years since Alex came to Calgary with the Stampeders. And he's what this is one of those stories that. Everybody knows his sister uh, is Down syndrome. Everybody knows how open he is. But I think the one thing that takes a lot of people by surprise is just how young he is, given that he speaks so highly of his sister. Uh, 
And one of the questions that was asked right off the bat of Alex today was, you know, whether he's playing second fiddle or not. I love it. You know, she's my older sister. You know, always has been, always will be. And I don't know any different. And I just know, you know, the, the girl that loves and supports me more than anything in the world. And, you know, to be able to share that, I mean, sharing it or not, it would be the same love always. And so to be able to, and, you know, give her her spotlight and give her that feeling to where she gets to walk around now and tell people she's famous, I think is the coolest thing in the world. What does it mean to you to be able to share that moment with her in that moment? Because, like I said on stage, there were a lot of weepy eyes just watching, yeah. let alone being there right in the moment. Yeah, it was amazing because, you know, I've had those hugs the last two years behind closed doors where it wasn't, you know, happy. And, but it was the same hug because it's the hug of just love and support. And to be able to have that and to be able to just win that and be able to share that with her and the rest of my family, it... It's the most amazing thing in the world to be able to share with these guys. It's all you ever want to do, and now it's forever. Now, the best part about it is just how beaming Ashley is of Alex as well. And one of the things right after the the celebration today, I went up and chatted with Kim and Ashley, and Kim said, hey, Ashley, how many tackles did Alex have? And without a wink, it was eight. How many should he have had? Fifteen. And it was just that so matter of factly, but she takes that relationship so seriously and it's become, she's become a star in her own right, as Alex pointed out, which is, again, it's it's just fantastic to see the love in each other's eyes that sometimes I think it's that kind of good feeling gets overshadowed by some of the negativity. And it can't be an easy thing for a young man to do because you're you're expected to be sort of this warrior, I guess we'll call it that. You're expected to be this strong person. And when you show a little emotion, it's sometimes viewed as being weak. And so I chatted with Kim as well and asked her, how proud is she to see her son take a leadership role at such a young age talking about love like that it was amazing it was one of the most amazing moments of my life so to watch him be so happy and she pieced together was just, it was i was in tears too it was unbelievable and yeah what does it what does it mean to you to see sort of the inspirational side of things and how their relationship really does kind of bring out the good in in football and the good in in the world in a sense yeah it's really nice you know it is just a game but alex just loves his sister he just doesn't know any different I mean, and she's just, she's so proud. All of my, you know, he loves her as much as he loves his other two, too. Um, It's just part of his life. It's just our every day. She's part of his life. And I mean, Alex talks to her every day. I mean, every day. So So he's been like that forever. Yes. Yeah, always. Again, 24, 25 years old. And it's one of the feel-good stories that I think captured a lot of imaginations, not just during this Grey Cup experience, but over the last couple of years since Alex joined the Stampeders. And one of the things that I've noticed having sat sidelines over the last couple of years is that personality that you see in front of a camera is only about half of what you actually see out on the field because he is he is no holds barred. He is all in and he 
makes the point of making everybody on the sideline feel like they're a part of that team. And it's it really is, again, and there's a reason why a young man like that happens to be wearing, well, in hockey terms, it's wearing a, a letter, but uh, to be a captain on a team at that age, I think speaks volumes about the character of the individual. And I think that there's a lot to be said for this team in general, in terms of the the hardships that they went through. Yes, they did lose a couple of great cups in this process, but one of the things Micah Johnson said during the, the, the post-game interviews that I think a lot of people might have forgotten about was the Milan Hicks shooting. That one's going to be back front and center in, in not too distant future. And I did read a, a little story over the weekend about how uh, the, the Hicks family is, is coming to... Uh, kind of coming to grasp, I guess, with things and, and celebrating the victory and understanding how the team has rallied around them over the last couple of years as well. And I can only imagine, you know, some of the frustrations and the heartbreak that they've gone through. And, and it's, uh, I think that that's why you're seeing such a celebratory tone today and over the last couple of days for sure. And I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. And frankly, I think it's great to see that the team is giving us something to rally behind. But I wanted to leave you with one final thought from Alex Singleton when he was uh, asked a question in the media scrum afterward, after the, the event today and whether there was a message that he had to anybody else who had a loved one with downs, that kind of thing, uh, any kind of, of condition that, um, they, that they need to, to keep in mind, I guess. Ha, love them because they'll inspire you to be the greatest person in the world like my sister does. Love those words. Scalger today on 770 CHQR. We are into day number two of council deliberations over the upcoming budget. For the latest on that, we head to the phones with Global News reporter Aurelio Perry, our City Hall advocate. Uh, Mr. Perry, thank you so much for the time today. Hey there, Joe. Today was all about police. Uh, what were they hoping out of? Uh, what are they hoping for out of this budget? Well, basically, the uh, police budget. There isn't much of an increase from last year. Uh, they get new positions in the back half of the four-year budget. Uh, Sixty new positions in year three, and sixty new positions in year four. Don't know how many officers that will. Uh, uh, relate to, but uh, Deputy Chief Paul Cook told the uh, members of council that, you know, despite the, the fact there's no new growth in the budget for next year, he's looking always to actively hire. Uh, so he's looking for 24 positions that he believes can be hired through uh, increased fine revenues. Uh, you know, so if Calgarians are being bad, there's more money in that regard that, you know, a lot of it goes to the province, but there is a chunk in a fine reserve fund, and that money could be used to hire these positions because police are always dealing with uh, attrition, uh, people leaving jobs, there might be vacancy, that type of thing. Is there an idea in place as to whether this is actual, I'll call it boots on the ground, but do uh Boot officers, are we talking uh, specialized units that he's hoping to create down the line, or did he get into that kind of minutia? Uh, we didn't get into that. Uh, he did mention that they are creating this neighborhood uh, neighborhood safety uh, issue that came because, you know, council members are always uh, saying that one of their number one complaints is the calls about speeding. 
Uh, but Paul Cook told counsel that in the last five years, basically all sort of crime rates have gone up. There's been quite a spike in crime rates, uh, especially, you know, commercial break-ins, as well as a spike in social disorder calls. Mm-hmm. He says in the Beltline, uh, the police are dealing with at least 19, 19 and a half calls a day just on social disorder calls. The other uh, interesting tidbit that I found out of your story that you filed for our 5 o'clock news is that there's a hope to increase uh, spending towards the Hawks helicopters. Explain what's needed here and how old are the choppers that are in the air now? Well, they uh, one of them's a lot older than the other, um, and they're up quite a bit. So they're looking at, you know, you're getting to the life cycle time to replace them. So it's $11 million to bring in two new helicopters, and basically, you know, they'd be probably replacing one at a time. This is, again, for the four-year period. One final note uh, that I think caught a lot of people's attention was uh, a a bit of a tense moment between the mayor and Jeremy Farkas once again. Uh, These two not necessarily, uh, they've been known to have at it, but today they got at it again. Yeah, they did once again. uh, Jeremy Farkas, uh, this morning he tried to do a council pay freeze issue, which, you know, Ward Sutherland's been working on it. It's coming to an upcoming meeting, but... You know, whether it's grandstanding, he did it up again, and it not even not one person uh, seconded the motion, so it didn't see the light of day. Then he was pushing something else. He mentioned the, uh, not a transition payment, but a gift that outgoing counselors received. Uh, and so in, they were in camera. They were talking about labor negotiations, and then it filtered into something else. He came out saying that when he wanted to talk, everybody got up and left. And he talked about it being bullying behavior. The mayor told him, well, if you're doing this kind of stuff, you know, if you're in the heat, if you're in the kitchen, you got to face the heat. Here's a question that I had when I was reading over this. And I I know these two haven't seen eye to eye for a while now. But does this remind you at all of Dave Bronconnier versus Rick McIver from a few years back? Um, Just a touch. However, you know. Uh, Farkas is giving back as good, you know, you sometimes wonder, is Farkas planning this, planning the faux outrage against himself to, you know, curry favor with people outside of City Hall? So is this part of an act that he's pulling off here? Um, he got up, he claimed that they walked out on him, uh, and that was bullying. Gondek says, well, that's a lie. We didn't do that. That's a total lie. Uh, so, you know, who knows? It's quite the performance that's been going on here. Well, and what it does is it derails from the, the actual conversation that Calgarians should be having about their uh, taxes and, and the, the things that they should be spending money on, that kind of thing, such as city police, which is uh, part of the deliberations that are happening over the last uh, couple of days and we will be continuing through. And I know you'll have uh, all the latest through the course of the next few days as well. So Aurelio, thank you so much for the time and all your hard work. You're welcome. So that's the latest on the city hall front. It got dicey. And we'll play some of that audio for you next. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. I like this one text about poking the bear. I said, you know, the bear happens to be the mayor not had Nancy. The poker seems to be Councillor Jeremy Farkas. And Chad texts in saying, to be honest, I'm loving the poker of the bear. Glad we don't have a council that is all smiles and full of yes men and women. I tend to agree with that. I will say that some of the shenanigans get a little little hard to, to stomach sometimes because I feel like sometimes we argue just for the sake of arguing. 
But then I hear stuff like this and I go, okay, something, something's not right here. Take a listen. This is uh, part of that spat that Aurelio and I were talking about a little earlier on today. I think that what just happened there was incredibly unfair. So members of council discussed, I, I don't even know how I can go into this because I think that it's fundamentally bullying behavior. It is unacceptable for so many others to have the opportunity to speak and to attack positions that I put forward. And yet the moment I am able to defend myself and to speak to it, council stages a walkout. It's incredibly unfair. I think it's disrespectful, not just to me as a member of council, but to the residents of Ward 11 that I represent. So I just want to vocally in the strongest terms, state my objection. You know, I appreciate what you're saying, Councillor Farkas, but I also want to highlight that when you play with fire, this can happen. Uh, if you are constantly treating uh, your colleagues disrespectfully, both around this table and in public, then why do you expect respect back? That's a rhetorical question. You don't need to answer it, but I believe it's something you might want to reflect on. It's never happened to any other member of council, probably since Councillor Jones has been here. And you might want to respect, reflect on why that's happening to you, because it's not happening to you. But this is, right, abuse. That's it. Thank this you. is an abuse of yeah, our thanks, closed Councilor door legislation. That's it. Thank you. Yeah, and you should be willing to say the same thing around this table that you say to the press. So with that, thank you, Councillor Farkas. I hope you'll have, I hope you'll use this as an opportunity to reflect on your behavior. Thank you. One of the things that always irked me about just, and that's a real good example of it is the last word always has to be the mayor's. And it just, it's it, something that it bothered me for whatever reason is I'm wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. And there's no two ways about it. And again, this is highlighting the fact that there's a couple of counselors that don't, that are not on side with the mayor on certain things. And what, and the challenge is now is they're talking about things that are going on behind closed doors. And you can't talk about those things because they're supposedly confidential. So what were they talking about? The other thing is, I love the subliminal tones that both of them have. It's like that reading between the lines when there's that email or there's a meme going around the last couple of days surrounding emails. And as per my previous note is if you would only would have re read that in the first place, there's a lot of that going on in that conversation too. That's just day two. Council deliberations, fun times. We'll continue to keep an eye on that through the course of the next few days. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Calgary Today podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll chat with you soon.